We're in a sixth week of our survey of Nehemiah, and we're in Nehemiah chapter 6 this morning. Nehemiah chapter 6. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to join me there. Nehemiah chapter 6. On October 29, 1941, at the height of World War II, there was a speech that was given by Winston Churchill to the students at Harrell School. They were, they were graduate students, and, and he uttered these words. Winston, Winston Churchill said this, But for everyone, surely what we have gone through in this period, I'm addressing myself to this school. Surely from this period of 10 months, this is a lesson. Never give in. Never give in. Never, never, never. In nothing, great or small, large or small, never give in. Except to convictions of honor and good sense. Never yield to force. Never yield to the apparently overwhelming might of the enemy. Churchill's speech was, was a charge to both rise to the occasion to fight Nazi Germany and to never, 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 never give in, no matter what the enemy would throw at them. Never give in. They were in a war. Family, I'm here to tell you this morning, we are in a war. We're in a war. There are all kinds of natural wars going on throughout the country and all around the world. I mean, we're, every day there are things happening in the United States, and if, we're not, if you're not paying attention, let me tell you something. We are in a war, a battle against good and evil. And Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, he says, The weapons of our warfare, though, as followers of Jesus Christ, are not carnal. They're not of the flesh. They're, they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And then he, then he says this. He says, casting down imaginations, which means that most of the time when we do warfare as followers of Christ, the battleground is in the mind and it's in the heart. So he says, casting down imaginations and everything that would exalt itself against the knowledge, the will, the power of God, bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, strongholds of the enemy, the weapons that we have to use or to dismantle those strongholds. Today I want to talk to you about one of those weapons. It's a term that we, we don't use that often anymore, but it's a, it's a powerful term in terms of the the weapon that we've been given is called the gift of discernment. The gift of discernment. So I've titled the sermon today, Discerning Distractions. Discerning Distractions. Let me give you a working definition, a biblical definition of the word discernment. Discernment is the ability to spiritually assess the difference between right and wrong, good and evil, what is harmful and what is harmless? Discernment, spiritual discernment. The more we're able to discern, the more mature we'll become in our walk as followers of Jesus Christ. The writer in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 12 says this. He says, though by the time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, 
not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the world of righteousness since he's a child. But listen to what he says about spiritual maturity. He says, but solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment. Everyone say discernment. Their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish between good and evil. Distractions. Satan, our enemy, will always do whatever he can to the best of his ability to distract us from fulfilling God's purpose in our lives. Listen, if he did it to Jesus, who are we? Remember a couple of weeks ago when I told you in in uh, Luke chapter 4, I, I took you to that, that passage where Scripture tells us that, that Jesus was driven into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit for the purpose of being tempted of the enemy. And here's what the enemy tries to get him to do. He tries to distract him from his purpose to get him to focus on himself. Because if he gets him to focus on himself, Jesus fails to fulfill what God has called him to, his plan, his purpose of redemption of all mankind. Jesus stays the course. So I want to go back and say it again. If, if Satan did it to Jesus, you know he's going to do it to us, right? And here's something about our enemy. When he doesn't succeed, what he does is he comes back around he does it again. He might retreat for a season, but he's going to always come back and look for another ideal opportunity to distract us. In our passage today, we're going to take a look at three tactics that the enemy will use to distract us. Three tactics for distraction. The first is invitation. Second is incrimination. And third is intimidation. And once again, from our text, from our passage, we see that Nehemiah shows us how to respond to, to the tactics of our enemy and with a godly resolve. That's what we learn from our passage today in Nehemiah. Let's talk about the first tactic of our enemy. Invitation. According to Josephus, in his writing of the Antiquities of the Jews, while building the wall of Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem, many Jews lost their lives at the hands of their enemy. And there were many attempts simultaneously, many plots to discourage and to discredit, even kill and harm or kill Nehemiah in the process. But listen, as the completion of the wall drew near, Nehemiah's enemies made several final attempts to lure him away from the wall, invitation for him to come down. Let's pick it up in chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. Now when Samballot and Tobiah and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had built the wall and that there was no breach left in it, although up to that time I had not set up the gates or the doors in the gates. Let me stop there for a second. Because this is the final attempt by Nehemiah's enemies. They understood that once those doors were set and those gates were set, that that city becomes a fortress and it's secure. Game over. So this is their final attempt to lure Nehemiah away from the wall. 
And Samballot, verse 2, Samballot and Geshem sent to me, saying, Come and let us meet together at, yeah, that word, Hakafarim. Yes, Hakafarim, yes. In the plain of Ono, but they intended to do me harm. And I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down to you? And they sent to me four times in this way and I answered them in the same manner, invitation. And here's what's going on here. Nehemiah's enemies come to him and say, hey man, listen, why don't you come down off the wall for a little R&R? They're appealing to him and his sense of pleasure, much like Satan was trying to appeal to Jesus in the wilderness. Why don't you come down, man? Come down off the wall. Get a little break from your work. You've been working hard laying these bricks for way too long. Come down. In verse 2, that word together meant that, that, that they, were, they were suggesting the ideal of compatibility between them, that this was going to be a meeting between leaders, man. They were saying, listen, let's talk man to man. Let's talk leader to leader. Now, don't forget, now, these were the men that tried to kill him, right? They tried to kill him earlier. But here's what they're saying. Hey, man, no matter the disputes, we know we've had some disagreements. We know we tried to kill you a couple times. <laughs> but let's put all that aside for now. Why don't we meet down in the plain of Ono? Why are you stealing my thunder, man? <laughs> Let's meet down in the plain of Ono. Now, here's what you need to know about Ono. Ono was a, was a valley, it's a lush plain that was, that was green and plush. It was a great place for a resort. But it was also out in the middle of nowhere. So it was also not only a great spot for a retreat, but it's a great spot for an ambush. Great spot to murder somebody and hide their body and nobody ever find them again. Nehemiah understood this. Nehemiah discerned this. And I want you to pay close attention to verse number four. Note the persistence of these offers of pleasure. Request number one. Request number two. Request number three. And then a final request. Man, we really want you to come down and join us. And to each request, Nehemiah responds the same way. Oh, no. Oh, no, I'm not coming down off the wall. You know, sometimes, family, we have to say no. There are some things we have to say no to. And I'd say this. I'm just following up the writer in Hebrews. One mark of spiritual maturity is the ability to say no to something without having to explain yourself. How many parents in the house? Let me see your hands. Now, while you have the chance, while little Johnny is like five years old, there are some things when you tell him or her to do, you don't need to explain yourself. You just don't need to explain yourself. No is no. Now, as they get a little older, you know, you have to, you have to explain some things. But for right now, no is no. Listen, I come up, I'm an old, I come up old school, right? I'm, I'm old school. My mom and dad told me to do something. If I thought about questioning them and asking them why, I better be outside of arm's length. 
Because sometimes no means no. Listen, this is where discernment comes in. Sometimes distractions and options, sometimes options come disguised as harmless, harmless things, even good things. But just because something seems good and is good doesn't mean that it's always right. Doesn't mean that that's the right choice for you. Have you, ever, have you ever given in to repeated pressure? I mean, somebody puts the pressure on you and you just, just if you have, how many of you have given in to repeated pressure? Let me see your hand. For those of you who haven't raised their hands. <laughs> just keep living. I wasn't going to tell this, but I'm going to tell this, right? So, repeated pressure. So long time ago, everybody say long time ago. Long time ago. Long time ago. My son is like 27, 28. Now, my son was like four, maybe five. And, and we're on the beach in Hawaii, in Hunama Bay, right? And, and, and we were out feeding the fish because, you know, there's a lot of good snorkeling out in Hunama Bay. And we're out feeding the fish, and, and uh, we had come back onto the beach, and, and I've, got, I've got the camcorder. Now, back in the day, they didn't have the little camcorder like this. They had, like... Channel 2 camcorders, you know what I mean? <laughs> the great big ones, right? And I've got my camcorder. I'm recording this thing. And my wife, she's got the wrap on over a bathing suit, and my son wants to go out and feed the fish. You know where I'm going with this, baby. And so, and, <laughs> and so my, son, my son walks up to my wife, and he goes, Mommy, can I go feed the fish? And she says, no, he didn't know about, about, about this baby. She said, no, no. He said, Mommy, can I go feed the fish? She said, she said no. He said, Mommy, please. He, she said, no. He said, Mommy, please. She said, no. And then, I promise you, he started this chant. He grabbed her by, by her, her rap. She said, he said, Mommy, please. Mommy, please. Mommy, please. Mommy, please. Mommy, please. Mommy. We need you. We need Honestly, until, until she, he just broke her down. She's like, here, take the, take the food. And then she looks at me, right? <laughs> so I give, I, give, I give her the camcorder, and I go out there in, in the water, but I don't get there to, to, to my son in time. He's only about this big, and he rushes out in the water. He's got this sandwich bag full of food. And if you ever fed fish out there in Hanama Bay, you know they know that bag, right? And, <laughs> And my son is walking through the, through the water, and all of a sudden a fish comes up and grabs a bag and just whips it. And now he's got bread all over the place, and he's screaming because all these fish are like at him, right? <laughs> so I run out there, big daddy, and I grab him up, man. These fish are all eating on me too, right? <laughs> I know it's funny. But listen, that's... That's how subtle sometimes distractions can be. One piece of bread, I mean, that's just, I mean, it's a good thing. One piece of bread can get you distracted and get you off the beach where things are safe and out into the water where the enemy's nipping at you. One decision. One decision. That's where discernment comes in. Somebody say amen. amen. All right. Thank you. The enemy will wear us down, man. 
He'll try to. We might decline the first invitation, but as time goes on, he'll just keep prodding and prodding and prodding until our defenses get weak, and the enticements continue. And if we're not careful, we'll give in. And I said it once and I'll say it again, just because something is good, it doesn't make it the right choice for us. We have all kinds of invitations to distractions. Even there are practical day-to-day choices that can be distractions. In her book, A Practical Guide to Prayer, Dorothy Haskins tells about this noted uh, violinist who was, who, uh, who was a master at her craft, and she asked her about the secret to her mastery, and here's the response. She said, there are many things that used to demand my time. When I went to room after breakfast, I made my bed, straightened the room, dusted, did whatever seemed necessary. When I finished my work, I turned, I turned to my violin practice. That system prevented me from accomplishing what I should on the violin. So I reversed things. I deliberately planned to neglect everything else until my practice period was complete. And that program of planned neglect is the secret to my success. Invitation. The enemy will try to invite us to do all kinds of things that aren't good for us. Just because something's good doesn't make it right. You know, I have, a, I have the morning time is my time. I like getting up in the morning. I like waking the house up. How many of you guys know what I'm talking about? The house is dark, and you know, especially this time of year, and it's still warm outside, and you, you go make that first cup of coffee, and you know that you can hear the refrigerator running. I'm, I love waking up the house, right? And the thing that I love to do in the morning in my quiet time is I love to give God the first part of my day. So that's when I normally try to study, right? I, I get into the Word, I do my devotion. That's my time alone with God. But it is inevitable that if I cut my phone on, I start getting notifications, email notifications, and text mail notifications, and voicemail notifications, and all these other notifications that, watch this now, are an invitation for me to step away from what is right to do what is good. The enemy tries to do that to us. So what invitation have you accepted? What invitation are you currently even entertaining that the Holy Spirit through the gift of discernment is known that you say, nah, if you do this, it becomes a distraction that will get you off course. I'm talking to somebody today. So the first tactic of distraction by our enemy is invitation, pleasure. The second is incrimination, gossip. It's an intensified tactic. In other words, the enemy steps it up. And Nehemiah in this passage is able to resist because he understands something. He understands the gift of discernment, so discernment allows him to see things for what they really are, a lie. Let's pick it up in verse 6, verse, verse 5 of chapter 6. Are you there? In the same way, Sam Ballot, for the, for the fifth time, fifth time, for the fifth time sent his servant to me with an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations, and Geshem also says it, that you and the Jews intend to rebel. 
And that is why you're building the wall. And according to these reports, you wish to become king. And you've also set up prophets to proclaim concerning you in Jerusalem that there is a king in Judah. And now the king will hear of these reports. So, so listen, man, so come down off the wall and let us take counsel together. Come down off the wall. Incrimination. Here's what I want you to notice. Notice that this was an unsealed letter. It was different than the rest of them. In other words, this letter was designed to be read in front of everybody. The sole intent of this letter was to, was to cause doubt and, and discouragement amongst the Jews. So this intensified tactic really becomes what we know as the modern-day rumor mill. Modern-day gossip. Somebody said straight-up gossip. Yeah, yeah. Somebody say straight up gossip. Straight up. I'm preaching again now. Someone once said that gossip is news that you have to hurry to tell somebody else before you find out it isn't true. Let me tell you some characteristics of gossip. You can be aware of it. One characteristic is that the source most all the time wants to remain anonymous. You've seen it. You've been part of it. I just got caught in it the other day. Somebody said, I heard this. I said, really? They said, yeah. I said, well, if I go to this person and tell them, uh, can I tell them it was you? Oh, don't tell them it was me. I want to remain anonymous. Gossip often starts that way. Also, it's often filled with hyperbole. That's exaggeration and inaccuracy. It most likely will come to a false conclusion. A good example is right here in this text. Nehemiah is setting himself up to become king. That's, that's the, the gossip. And that he's collected prophets from all over the city to proclaim this all across Judah. Gossip. The Bible tells us how to deal with it. When it comes to gossip, to get to the truth, you've got to get to the source. And what we find most often is when we get to the source, we'll find that it is an untamed tongue. If you're familiar with the book of James, James tells us in chapter 3, verses 5 through 10, he says, the tongue is a small member, but it's very powerful. He said it, it creates tiny, starts, tiny sparks, but they start forest fires. He says it sets a fire that can change the course of your life and the lives of other people, and it cannot be tamed naturally. It takes the supernatural power of God for us to hold our tongues. Mm. He says it's a restless evil full of deadly poison, and it can produce both blessings and cursings. And James says that ought not be. In his book, Hand Me Another Brick, Dr. Chuck Swindoll says this, a number one enemy to, to Christian unity is not alcohol or drugs. It's not pornography or, or poverty or inflation. The number one enemy to Christianity is the power of our tongue. Gossip is the major reason for disunity in the body of Christ, and it is a major reason for disunity in the family of God. The enemy uses gossip. It's a major tactic that he uses. So how does Nehemiah respond to the gossip that has been tossed at him? He does it masterfully. 
If you look at verse, verses 8 and 9, you'll see that he does three things. He first denies the rumor. He says, that's not true. And then he prays to God for strength. And then he simply goes back to work. Sometimes when it comes to gossip, keeping it simple is the best way to operate, isn't it? So now based on what Nehemiah shows us, how can we better discern and appropriately respond to gossip when it comes our way? First thing to do is ask, is it true? Is it really true? Can it be validated? And, and then ask this, hey, can I quote you on that? Can you quote the original source? And here's something. Is this information, will this information benefit the person who hears it? And can he or she do anything about it? You know, I, the one thing, you can't do it too much anymore with electronic mail, but, but with, with old, you know, mail, what you get in the mail, you know, the old hard copy mail, even, I don't even know what you call it anymore. <laughs> snail mail, <laughs> snail mail. Postal mail, yeah. You know, I used to get all upset about, you know, you get these letters in the mail and there's no return address and nobody, they don't sign on the bottom and they just give you all these scathing things in the middle. Listen, here's what I've learned. 513, man. Because if a person wants to remain anonymous and not want to put his or her name on what they're saying to you, it's not worth the time and the energy. It's just not worth the time and the energy that you would put into it to try to resolve whatever the problem is. So don't do it. Don't do it. You know, last week Mike read from Proverbs chapter 6, verse 16. And in that passage, he talked about the six things that God hates and the seventh that's an abomination to him. A proud look, a lying tongue. And then it gets on down to the bottom of it and it says a person that sows discord amongst the brethren. The enemy uses gossip to sow disunity and discord and division in the body of Christ. And we should avoid it at any cost. That's the second task, incrimination, gossip. So our enemy starts with invitation. Then he moves and steps it up a little bit into incrimination. And then the third tactic he uses that we really need to get the discernment for is intimidation. Let's pick it up in verse 10 of chapter 6. Chapter 10, verse, chapter 6, verse 10, let's look at it. Now when I went to the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was confused, who was confined in his, who was confused, <laughs> who was confined to his home, he said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple. Let us close the doors of the temple, for they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you by night. You know what? I, I love that passage. They're coming to kill you by night. Because it does, have you ever watched scary movies? How many watch scary movies? You ever find a scary, a scary movie where things are like scary during the daytime? Right? It's never in the daytime. You don't find dent, dent, dent in the middle of the day, right? It's always at night. They always come and get you in the night. Adds to, adds to, yeah. So they were going to come and get him in the night. They're coming to kill you. But I said, 
Should a man such as I run away? And what man such as I could go into the temple and live? I will not go in. And I understood that, that and saw that God had not sent him, but he had pronounced the prophecy against me because Tobiah and Sambalit had hired him to do this. Hmm. So what's the point, Pastor? This was the final attempt to lure Nehemiah into sin. They were going to intimidate him into doing that. Because Nehemiah understood, and so did they, his enemies, that if Nehemiah entered the temple, it would be against Levitical law. Because going into the holy place, the sanctuary was reserved for the Levitical priests. No one but the Levitical priest was allowed to enter into the sanctuary. To do that and not be a Levitical priest was a violation of the law that was punishable by death. And so Nehemiah refuses to give in, and his courageous refusal to go into the temple indicates character and honor and integrity and loyalty to God above his own perceived needs. He chooses to honor God even if it's going to cost him his life in the face of intimidation. Someone once said, that courage isn't the absence of fear, it's the tenacity to do what's right no matter how much we're afraid. So discerning the right priorities gave Nehemiah the courage to do what's right, to say no to distractions, thereby keeping pace with God's priority for his life. And here's what I want you to know, family. You don't find Nehemiah seeking revenge for the things that were perpetuated or perpetrated on him. Instead, he, he implores God. He says, listen, God, I want you to deal justly with my enemies. Because how many of you know God can do a whole lot better job dealing with our enemies than we can? Yeah. So, so I want you to deal justly with our enemies. The last thing I want to bring to you is once we've, through the gift of discernment, learn how to navigate through the tactics of the enemy, always at the end of it, we're going to see the results of God's involvement in our lives. Because you know what? He's there with us the whole time. He's always constantly talking to us. He's always trying to get us to navigate through the tactics of the enemy. The question is, are we listening? Are we discerning? Listen to how God got involved. Verse 14, remember Tobiah and Sambalit. No, that's not right. Oh, verse 15, God's involvement, his divine involvement. So the wall was finished on the 25th day of the month of Elul, Elul in 52 days. And when our enemies had heard it, all the nations around us were afraid and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Here's what was undeniable. Even Nehemiah's enemies had to admit that God was intricately involved in this work. That this project that should have taken two to three years was accomplished in 52 days supernaturally. And it was accomplished that way because of God's direct result, of God's direct um, uh, influence and impact of getting involved in the lives of his children when they set their hands to do what he had purposed to do. Let me tell you, when you purpose to do what God has called you to do, 
when you purpose to follow what, what God's plan is for your life and to step in God, into God's calling for your life, God will supernaturally get involved in the affairs of your life as well. He is standing by to do that for you. He wants to be involved in your life. I want to close with this. You know, you, you're taught in public speaking never to close on a downer. <laughs> but I want to close with this. Melissa, you can come up. I want you to notice how chapter 6 ends. In the closing verses, we, we see the relentlessness of our enemy. He just keeps coming and coming and coming. Verse 19, Nehemiah says, Moreover, they kept reporting to me his good deeds, talking about Tobiah, and, and then telling him what I said. And Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. One of the overriding truths in this book that I want you to see is that the enemy will not quit. He's not bound by flesh and blood like we are. And he's not going to quit. So I want to take you back to that passage that I mentioned to you before. We try to deal with our enemy family. If we try to deal with his tactics by natural means, we will lose. Remember, the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly. They are not carnal. They are mighty through God, given to us by God to do what? Dismantle the strongholds of the enemy. The greater one lives on the inside of us. And we've been given everything we need to combat the tactics of the enemy. I want to close with this. Give you some food for thought. This week I read a fictional report of a worldwide convention that Satan and his demonic imps were holding across the world. And in the devil's opening address to his followers, he said this, we can't keep Christians from going to church, but we can steal their time. We can keep them busy in the non-essentials of life and invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds. Keep them busy, busy, busy with the latest technology. Let's offer them faster, more convenient, more efficient methods of communication. Keep them busy. Let's saturate them with email and voicemail and letter mail and text messaging. Keep them busy. Let's make it so this method of communication is the last thing they check before they go to bed at night and the first thing they check when they rise up in the morning. And then when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk that, so that they leave with troubled consciences and unsettled emotions. Let's crowd their lives with so many good things that they have no time to seek the best things. My prayer for each one of you is that this week you'll focus on the voice of God, that you'll set some time aside specifically to hear God's voice because the more you do it, the more you hear his voice, the easier it is going to be for you to hear his voice and the easier it's going to be for you to discern whether the enemy is trying to use his tactics to get you distracted or whether it's God pushing you into the course of your destiny and his calling on your life. I pray that for you this week.